need a bigger boat. Snakes. Why did it have to be snakes? Life, uh, finds a way. Welcome back to the very special edition of Spielberg Chronologically. Over the last uh, year and a half, Eric over there. Hi, Eric. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? And myself, Jeff, been going through every single one of Steven Spielberg's movies in chronological order. And here we are at his most recent release. And for the time being, the final episode of Spielberg Chronologically proper. Yeah, uh, it's amazing. It's a very cool feeling. To, to realize that we've done this I no longer have any like blind spots in the Spielberg filmography I have seen them all I have wrestled with them all and I feel like this movie like the fact that we did this show when we did so that the timing yep. would work out that this film would be the last one that we did mwah, chef's kiss like right perfect perfect I felt timing. that way so and it kind of worked like on Hitchcock. I just kind of started it like I didn't really plan anything. I just was like, I just want to do this. I'm free right now. And it worked out perfectly that every Wednesday there were as many Wednesdays in that year as there were films from Hitchcock. And it just worked out where I did it all in one calendar year. Every Wednesday was a review and it was beautiful. And this was kind of the same thing. Ending on this uh, movie is the right movie. To, to finish off on um so i don't have any history with this i've only it was not even out when we started the show uh it was in production and we said that will probably be out by the time we get to it yes yeah i i also do not have any history like i vaguely watched the fact that it was being made you know, and I was hip to the fact that it was, uh, you know, up for a bunch of awards last year. And I kind of knew the basic concept that it was about Spielberg's uh, childhood and adolescence. But beyond that, um, no, I did not have I, I didn't see it at the theater. This is this is like a kind of prime pandemic time. Right. So uh, my, my theater going has been. Uh, sporadic at best over the last three right. three years or so. So no, I did not get out to see this, and neither did it seems anybody else. Like this, this was not a successfully successful financial film. You know, financially it was not successful. That's what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, I, I, I think it just mostly has to do. People don't go to the movies for this anymore. You know, they they want a big explosions. Like, what's the last like time you heard like, oh, you got to go see Forrest Gump. Right. People went to go and everybody went to go see Forrest Gump. Now it's, you know, Marvel, John Wick. Um, I, I can't think of anything else like Avatar. Just they have to be a spectacle. Right. To get people to go to the theater or a horror movie because horror movies are cheap and horror fans will go and watch it. That's true. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's a shame, like nothing against those genres, because I am among right. that crowd. They're seeing the yes. Marvel films. And I just went to see Evil Dead Rise last weekend. You know, <laughs> like I'm, I'm there. Horror film. Yep. Yep. Right. I, I'm, I'm there with the rest of the crowd. But it is it is a shame that that people, myself included, aren't mustering, you know, the gumption to go see stuff like this, because after watching this, I was like, damn, I wish I saw this at the theater. Like, I just, 
you know, just to be able to watch it in one sitting, uninterrupted, no pausing, you know, like just beginning to end and just let it wash over me. Uh, man, it would have been great. But nope. It didn't. It didn't. Yeah, yeah, no. I watched yeah, it no, on wait. Showtime. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the Fablemans uh, came out in 2022, of course, directed by Steven Spielberg, and it is a. A pseudo biopic? What do you call this? I mean, semi autobiographical? Like, yeah. 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 According to everything that I've seen and read, um, uh, more or less everything in this movie happened. You know, it's through the filter of Steven Spielberg's memory, right? right? And we all know that memory is faulty. You tend to gloss over details and repaint things others yeah two people remember the same event differently and so on so this is this is his interpretation of his childhood and adolescence and uh but i think we can we can take it as you know a slightly fictionalized version of his life yeah um and i did watch uh one video of him telling one of the stories that happens in the film particularly the 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 final story of him meeting Jack, uh, whatever John, John Ford. Sure, him. Yep. Because I knew who he was. <laughs> when, so in that scene, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. And I was, fingers crossed, I'm like, this would perfectly tie together both of the seasons. Please be Hitch. Please be Hitch. And it wasn't. <laughs> you know, um, but I still an excellent scene. But, um, yeah, I was just kind of hoping that it was going to be Hitchcock. I was like, oh, my God. But, alas. John Ford, if you, if you want to know more about him, there I think it was on HBO. There's this uh, s- series of short, I think it's like a four-episode series. It was either HBO or Netflix, and it's about four guys who went to make films during World War II. Like, like John Ford was a successful Hollywood filmmaker, and he enlisted in the Army and was like a, a documentary maker in the Army during world war two and it's the film is about like his adventures and the films you know that he made during world war two you know like he was there like filming i don't know if he was specifically at pearl harbor but like that level of battle he was out there with his camera like a lunatic you know like filming all that shit and uh yeah this is a pretty pretty interesting i'll look up the name and i'll text it to you sorry viewers uh listeners uh, you'll have to look it up yourself but uh, uh well if you text it to me i can put it in the show notes. yeah that'd probably be good but yeah john ford very cool made a lot of westerns big john wayne director you know i think stagecoach was him you know a lot of film names that you would recognize well and there's the point where the guy from lost is like do you want to meet the greatest director that ever lived and that's where i'm like it's got to be hitch who else would it be at this period you know like well, th- th- this predated Psycho because he was in the fifties at the time. Nah, I think we were. Was I, in think, the 60s? I think we're pushing late sixties by the end of the movie. So Psycho would have been out. Psycho would have been out. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I think I think at that time John Ford. I mean, he was Spielberg level legendary. I think. Yeah. You know, just from an earlier time that we're not necessarily hip to. Yeah. Uh, so, um, first, well, obviously you kind of tipped your hand and spilled the beans that you really enjoyed this, but what's your general thoughts? Oh my God. I love this. I absolutely loved it. So I got a text from you that said, uh, this movie is destroying me. Yeah. Something along those lines. Oh yeah, man. I like, uh, 
it engaged me on an emotional level like a lot like i was really in it you know like the story of the family and the parents and uh you know them splitting up and like all of the 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 kid who's not understood by his father like it all really resonated with me the entire time every turn the movie took i i was right there with it the entire way so uh it's funny i think like last week mark was like yeah it's kind of boring like i did not get that out of it at all like i was i was super super into it the few times that i did pause it to like grab a snack or whatever i kept wandering out to my wife like oh i can't believe you didn't watch this with me it's so good like you are so missing out i'm probably gonna watch it again here in the next couple days like the second viewing is in order for me well yeah and, and and mark and i often disagree on movies um and you can go and listen to the uh, movie draft house and and hear that and it's full i recommend maybe checking out the uh requiem for a dream episode that's a, a movie we both disagreed on big time but on this i i wasn't in his camp but i'm not in your camp i'm in the eh, that, that was good there's some really good moments yeah um i it's not in uh, like using the term destroyed me wouldn't happen uh i I largely found it to be just really good. There were moments that captivated me. I really loved his uh, relationship with the Christian girl oh, at high school. Oh, my God. I loved that so much. Amazing. Where he, amazing. Yeah. And it came flying out of nowhere. Like, what are we, two-thirds of the way through the movie, and this young woman comes into the movie and just, like, steals it. You know? Like, she just yeah. steals the film. Owns like, the whole thing. Because... So, like, obviously Spielberg is a Jewish man and he's raised in a Jewish family. They don't, they open up the movie saying they don't celebrate Christmas. They're the only house on the block without lights up. And here comes this uh, Christian teenage girl, grabs him, so takes him into her room. And is like, all right, we're going to pray. And, and, and like, gets him to essentially convert almost at that point. And, of course, he's like pretty girl likes me i convert um <laughs> i loved that i loved her uh that's chloe east is the actress smashed it i really loved everything she did in this film and just kind of coming out of nowhere to be a, a side character in the spielberg film to be probably my favorite part um she was up there yeah. for me too I'm, I'm glad that you brought her up right away because i was worried we weren't going to mention her at all uh because yeah. there's so much other stuff going on in this movie but yeah like just an absolute delight just the look on her face while she's kind of like convincing him to pray like yeah. like i'm doing this i don't necessarily believe it but i'm not letting you in on that and she kind of has this like smirk and it's just like this weird thing that she's doing you can tell she's kind of just turned on by the fact that he's jewish at all which makes him so kind of like meet jesus in the, in the like, library right they meet in the library and he's, he's talking to some other person who's friend who's the ex-girlfriend of the bully who bullies him and he's talking to her and then she hears that he's jewish and her best friend is chloe's character monica and she lights up wait you're jewish you know, and then like starts. That's pretty much it. She's locked in. Like this is her dream man. <laughs> it's crazy. But then like her arc at the end of the movie, he's like, "I love you," and she pulls like we said in Ready Player One. She's like, "Whoa, hold on, this is a high school thing." Like even in her, uh, 
excited teen, you know, what do you call Infatuation. it? Infatuation. Like hormones are going. Yeah. She's, but at the end of the day, she's smart enough to be like, whoa, 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 whoa. This is a high school fling. We're honestly, this isn't, we're not going to get married. Like, and I just, but then like his movie's a hit and she kind of comes back looking for him like, well, hold on a minute. Maybe I do want to ride this bus. <laughs> I was just, I loved all of her arc. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely fantastic. The scenes where she and he are running around the the ditch day on the beach, like filming the film, it's just like like if I were in high school, I would be in love with this girl. Like I would for sure. Would it would be absolutely, over. Absolutely. Like she would have me so wrapped around her finger because she's just so fun and funny and kind of goofy. She's got this like this goofy laugh, yeah. and she's just having so much like brings so much energy to the whole thing. Yeah, I really I'm with you. I absolutely loved her. Um. So the other thing that surprised me that I found to be uh, not so much. Well, I'll just say I really like Seth Rogen in this movie. It was very different role for him uh, to be. I can't think of that many. I haven't seen 50 50, but I haven't seen that many serious performances out of Seth Rogen. And I thought he was really good um, as the best friend slash other guy. Yeah. Yeah. I always I always appreciate him. I've always enjoyed him. Did you ever watch Freaks and Geeks, the show where, oh, yes. where they all got started? Oh God! Like that whole gaggle of people started out on that show. Uh, from that, that's the first thing that I think that I clocked him in. You know, so I was watching him, I guess, from the beginning of his career. But I've always thought like there's a depth to that guy. Like he's he's goofy and he's stony and all of that. But there's also like an emotional kind of depth and complexity to him. Like even in films where he's being goofy and funny you can really relate to him right right and and i think that that was really important in this film because you know the role that he has in this film as like the other man it could have easily been like a heel turn right like he could have been the villain of the movie and this movie is like mature enough and smart enough not to do that to him um, and to allow him to be a human with his own motivations who maybe understands that the situation that he's in is not great, but he's still right. going to try to do the right thing. He's got these relationships with this family that he wants to maintain. Uh, he never, like, never disrespects the dad, regardless of what's going on. You know, like, um, and I think I think that his innate likability as a performer kind of helps carry that along right yeah like i was saying to my wife i was like well it's a, a lot of the movie is about this family falling apart but it never descends into melodrama like there's never people screaming at each other and carrying on you know and and having these to a degree well i mean <laughs> there is uh there are a couple points where sammy who is essentially the stand-in for spielberg uh does kind of lose it when he's got this secret you know, he finds out that his mom is at least at the at the most, they say, emotionally cheating. She goes so far as to say we didn't take it as far as you think we may have. I call bullshit, but um, for sure, an emotional uh, affair. If that's yeah, that's a good that's a good but term that's for all it. they admit to. Right. Yeah. Um, which any like he gets pretty riled up and there's a point where she even stands 
to kind of break up everything, stands on like a chair, goes, I'm in therapy now, just out of nowhere. So, <laughs> so there is great. some melodrama in the in the middle of the film. But all of that melodrama is usually sort of tapered down by Paul Dano's subdued performance of yes. just being very whispery. And, and nobody's so, nobody's smashing anything in this movie except for the monkey. Right. You know, like like the nobody's throwing a fit and breaking windows or, you know, like slamming things around. You know, it's still conversational i think like the the peak moment of melodrama is when the mom kind of like goes to smack him and sammy and he she does turns he turns and he she gets his back and it was like damn she was gonna smack the shit out of that kid if she'd have hit his face like because she leaves this giant hand-shaped welt on his back where she hit him uh that's probably about like as far as it goes you know it's it's still like compared it's to other the realm like it's not jerry springer it's not kramer it, versus it's very kramer, real you right? know like yeah. it is, it's it's pretty subdued as far as family dramas go and you, yeah, you were talking I, about paul dano's performance which i also absolutely appreciated at like man there's everybody in this movie is so fucking good like well i love paul dano full stop uh most of his stuff i really like you know be it Little Miss Sunshine, uh, Swiss Army Man being one of my favorites. Uh, I I was kind of him. I didn't know how I felt about him in this because one thing about acting is I need to get to a point where I no longer see Seth Rogen. I see the character. And I uh, because of his voice and the way he would, well, you know, I kind of felt like I was watching him act, and I am watching him act, but it didn't ever click over into, this is a real guy. The only time it did was when he came home and his son was having a panic attack and he had the high waistband on with the belt and he just looked like a dad. But I, I, for some reason, his performance didn't ever click in for me in this movie, which is unfortunate because I do like Paul Dano and I do like the character, but it just didn't click for me and i have no actual reason behind it it mm. just I, I, and I, the same goes actually for, for michelle williams i'd like and i think i can put hers on the haircut which is sad to say but i just something there felt i guess i could put it it felt like something i could not relate to these were two people I could not relate to. Maybe I could relate to Sammy and his passion. I could relate to Seth Rogen and his playfulness, right? He's around the fire being the fun guy. Um, you know, I can relate to wanting to have this pretty girl want you and being bullied in school, but these two, I just, it never clicked for me. Oh, I, I, I was fully on board with both of them. Um, I kind of, I kind of saw the triangle of the mom, the dad and Sammy as like three extreme talents that are selfish in their own ways that don't understand each other. Right. And, and like with Michelle Williams, for example, I've known depressed artsy mom, right? Like I, I know that person I've experienced that, archetype in real life on several different occasions several real people that i know have been depressed artsy mom right yeah who who is unsatisfied with their family life and feels like they've left the better part of themselves behind when they gave up their artistic career to raise the kids and 
is trying to put on their best face, but not really, and feels as though they've been lost in this role as a wife and mother. I fucking know that person, you know? And so, like, when I'm watching this, I'm like, oh, she is crushing this. Like, she is nailing this. Just, like, the glassy look in her eyes and the way she's not, like, she's smiling, but she's not really smiling, and she's kind of dead inside, and, like... I think and I think that's fair and actually kind of helps the point that you're saying because what we're getting isn't her. Right. We're right? not getting we're her. We're getting a sort of a, a this is the like there's a point in the movie where she says, you know, your dad is one of the kindest, nicest, understanding human beings in the world. So I'm just going to make it work. And so she's putting on this face and facade to make the marriage work, which is why the character doesn't relate to me because she's being who th- she thinks Right. Bert needs to be her husband because he is kind and understanding. He's not unaware that this weird friendship between his wife and best friend is going on. He's he's a little more savvy than they give him credit for. Oh, he knows. They all yeah. know. They all know. They well, just they just don't want to face for, it. The kids really don't know. The littler um, kids in, don't until, know until later. Well, I mean, it takes Sammy completely by surprise. Yeah, I think it does. But I mean, like, I think all three adults are very hip to what's going on and and just don't want to face it, don't want to deal with it, don't want to have that conversation. I mean, like, they all three are probably living in dread of, like, that actually coming to the surface and them having to deal with it. Certainly the two oldest. Like, the oldest uh, girl... is really savvy there's like this scene where michelle williams is dancing in front of the car lights which i hated that i just i don't know it just kind of struck this weird artsy i get that is artsy depressed mom through and through i'm gonna add i'm gonna add drunk to that drunk artsy depressed mom that's 100 percent her yeah Yeah. and the oldest girl was like somebody stop this mom everyone can see through your blouse stop you know and knew that there was something kind of unhealthy happening in that moment so yeah yeah so like regarding the mom the way the mom behaves in a lot of ways is why i related so much to this film i I, everything everything about this film but let's just talk about her for a moment so there are these scenes in the film particularly when when sammy confronts her and shows her the film and he leaves her alone in the little closet to watch the film. And he's standing outside and he knows now that she knows that he knows. <laughs> Norton. Right. Great and, scene. And, uh, and then she comes out and it's clear that there's this truth between them now. Like they both know. And she kind of shifts and she starts for the rest of the film really speaking to him as though he's an adult he she takes him into her confidence right yeah like he knows this secret he tells her he's not going to tell and she accepts that she allows him to have this secret between them that they're going to keep from their father right right and in my own life i won't i won't go into too much detail but when i was in my adolescence my parents were splitting up and uh, there was a lot of gamesmanship with my parents uh, between uh, 
you know, me and my sister had already gone off to college. So it was just me left, left by myself. And there was a lot of like, I don't know, like diplomatic negotiation and secret sharing and conversations and revelations of shit that I probably should not have been hip to, you know, and, and my mom did this to me. Like she brought me into her confidence and shared secrets with me and then asked me not to tell my dad. And so watching Sammy kind of go through this and knowing like the emotional pressure and weight that that puts on a kid that age, that was part of like what really got me in this movie. Just like watching this kid go through this situation that he's not necessarily prepared for. And, and he has this secret with his mom, but he's not very happy about the content of that secret, right? He still has this loyalty to his father. It's not a fun secret. It's not a fun secret. Right. So like we were, uh, I was visiting my sister and my sister in plain sight gives my son money and goes, here, it's just because I don't see you that much just between us. You know, she says it loud enough, you know, that it's like, I hear you. But it, that's a fun secret, right? That's not harming anyone. It's a secret for secret's sake. This is something that festers and and just creates, you know, what's the term? Um, resentment? I don't know. Resentment. Like, I can never come up with that word when I need to, but resentment. And it just harbors and festers and grows. And eventually Sammy blows up, right? You yeah. get that scene where he explodes at her and and they're all kind of taken back. Well, he take. I mean, it takes him a while. Like he he starts snubbing them. Like the secret is too much for him. he can't handle it, and he starts snubbing yeah. snubbing Uncle Benny, and he starts snubbing his mom, and like she comes in for a hug, and he's just like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. Perhaps you forgot about the secret. Like <laughs> we will not be hugging today, and uh, yeah, and then it does become too much for him, and and he blows up. So like that that piece of it really resonated with me. The scene where the parents tell the children that they're divorcing and the reaction of the littler kids, uh, that really resonated with me. I've been, I've been in that scene. I've been in that place. It is not a happy place to be. Um, so like a, a lot of the pieces of the divorcing family splitting apart puzzle, you know, like, like carried me right along with it. It was like a wave that I was surfing on the entire film, you know? Um, so yeah, yeah, that's that's my my thing. My parents divorced when I was two, so I don't really remember it. And they've always been separate. I always say, "Hey, I've never seen my parents fight because they probably did when I was two or younger when they lived together." But I don't remember that. Um, so there could be some sort of subconscious harm there. But you know, the divorce when I was two, they never fought because they didn't live together. You know, and I had two Christmases to to quote you know Ricky Bobby, um, but. So definitely I can see where if you're in an age where a divorce happens and it actually in those formative years, you can remember all of it. I could definitely see why that would affect you more because I if they made one where a movie where the parents were already divorced, you know, and he just come in, he's two and he's got two Christmases. I'd be like, oh, I can relate to that. Yeah, we were at a, a, a zoo the other day and I guess this this young girl's mom works there. She's like six or seven. And her dad was dropping her off and she was like, I don't want to go. I don't want to go. And like hugging her dad and, oh, you know, it's time for you to go back with your mom. And I was talking with my wife, whose parents never got divorced. They're married to this day. 
uh, I was like, huh? I was like, he must be the fun parent right now. And she's, she understood what I meant because I explained it to her. I was like, when your parents divorce, you live with one and you visit the other. The one you visit is the fun parent. You know, because I would live with my mom and she'd make sure I did my homework and then I'd visit my dad and he would take us camping and fishing. And then I'd go back home and live with my mom and she would make sure we did all our homework. And then when I was nine, I moved in with my dad who would make sure we did our homework and kept our room clean. And then I go see my mom who would take us to Bush Garden. Right. <laughs> so like the fun parent, you know, and it, it it's only dependent on who actually has to try to keep you in order. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I've been, I've been, as a divorced parent, I've been on both sides of that equation as well. Like I've cycled yeah. between being the fun parent and the unfun parent, and yeah, ne- neither one of those is the best. But it does right. also it leads me into Paul Dano, who like between mom and dad, he's like not the fun parent because Uncle Benny is there being the fun parent, right? And so his character, uh, you know, is trying to be. He's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to pursue his career. He's kind of a, a electronics genius. He's working on computers way before computers are a thing, you know, and he's being kind of courted by these. He's getting close to being like a millionaire, like with his capabilities at that early phase in computing. Yeah, he's he's doing he's doing all right. Right. Uh, but it does take some sacrifice from the family because they have to move around with him. Right. And very early on. The mom, like, gives him shit for not bringing Uncle Benny along with them to Arizona, which, like, immediately, like, warning lights are going off in my head, like, no, dude, no, leave that guy behind, get that guy out of your life, like, that guy, that guy's trouble, he's trouble, he's trouble, get him out of there, like, the quicker- Yeah, I didn't, it didn't click with me that there was something going on there when that happens, because that's before any sort of, like, there's subtle breadcrumb hints all the way leading up to when- Sammy figures it out. That one didn't register to me for a bit. Oh, she God. was like, it did to me. Never trust the best friend. I swear to God, <laughs> I, I I have been Uncle Benny and I have been Uncle Bennied, right? Yeah, and and uh, two very different situations at two very different points in my life. But I will say this: my second wife is married to the guy who was the best man in our wedding. <laughs> like I have been Uncle Bennied, right? Wow. Yeah, and, and yeah. Uh, and so, like, immediately, you know, that's where my mind goes. I'm like, fucking get that guy out of your life. That guy should not be having dinner at your house every night. Get him the fuck out of there. Like, lesson learned on my end. <laughs> like, do not <laughs> do not bring fun buddy around too much. Yeah. Fun buddy needs to be a distant, maybe a separate friendship away from your marriage. That's where fun buddy belongs, right? Right. Like, and, uh... So, yeah, so, like, watching Paul Dano kind of struggle with the fact that he has this friend who he loves, who is a, a good partner, a good friend. They speak the same language regarding the electronics work that they do. They, you know, they've achieved great things together, and he's just closer and closer and closer in that family life. And, you know, and, and not being able to draw that line or by the time he realizes he should have it's too late you know and then having to play this role like he doesn't know like he doesn't see you know um which is just again a real real shitty place to be you know um so 
yeah, that really resonated with me as well. Another way for me to surf <laughs> through this yeah. movie, you know, <laughs> like, like everywhere I looked in this movie, I was like, oh man, I've, I've recognized this. I've recognized this. This feels like something that happened to me or somebody I know, you know, like, like Sammy's struggle with his dad, not understanding him, you know, that, that feels very familiar to me, you know, like I grew up, I was a big reader. I was a comic book kid. I was, you know, like science fiction and, you know, just kind of quiet hanging out. Didn't like sports. My dad was, you know, a blue collar construction worker, Like I, sh- I was like an alien to him. I'm sure. Like, like he'd be like, "Let's go throw the ball," and I'd be like, "I can't throw. I can't throw. I still can't throw." Like, I, <laughs> that's just not. That's not me. Like, that's not a yeah. thing that I do. You know. Um. And so, like them, you know, having these interests that kind of clash, and the dad still trying to find ways to relate to the son who has these weird things that he's interested in that the dad doesn't really understand, you know, like, like when, when Sammy does the thing with the pins where he pushes the pins and the gunshots. And so it looks like they're firing blanks and the dad says, now you're thinking like an engineer, like he's taking this moment to like, try to relate. Like I now, now we're talking on the same level, but it's like, so little like he never really comes around to understanding sammy's like passion for making movies and so on and so that but it is a it's a it's a point where he could as a dad be like well how does engineering fit into filmmaking maybe i can help you know like yes bring these things along like help you with those ideas um like because he is very much i was thinking about something because my son um very much wants to be a game creator wants to make games and I'm like, cool, get you with my, my brother who knows coding and, you know, that'll be part of your, your homeschooling. But when you're 16, you're getting a real job. And I don't mean real job to diminish people who play games or make games. But while you're learning and while you're building and while you're creating, you need to have an income. <laughs> like, And there's this thing in these movies where it doesn't ever fit that balance where it's always like either you live your dream or you get a real job, you get beat down by life. I'm like, why not both? You know, like every, you know, person who's like self-made had to work for the man. Like my dad ended up creating his own business while he was making his business. He was working for the man. Right. So it can be both. You ha- you kind of have to be both unless you get extremely lucky. Yes. So, in a lot of ways, I'm like, he's not wrong, but he is sort of kind of like, this is stupid. This is a hobby. And he didn't like it to be called a hobby. Fair enough. But it, until you're getting paid enough to live off of your hobby, you need a real job, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think he's probably not. He's not cognizant of the fact that he has a prodigy on his hands right like he's constantly looking at at sammy's filmmaking as a pastime a hobby a thing he does on the side and he doesn't you know it's like as if i don't know a mathematician has a mozart you know and boy he sure can play the piano but wait till he learns some math, you know, <laughs> like, and he just, he doesn't, he just is not quite locking in on the fact that, that there's an innate talent 
in this kid uh that yeah it, it, another another thing that fascinated me about this movie was there have been movies about prodigies right like little man tate or you know the genius movie goodwill hunting you know like like the movies about you know what it's like to be this genius person but there's never been one that was actually told by the genius person right like like here is somebody who is in that position and and like i'm not saying that steven spielberg is like this you know uber brainiac but he very clearly is you know in film terms like a mozart level genius right like he he innately he's on the mount rushmore of of directors he innately understands this and he did from a very early age clearly and and uh so we've never actually had the perspective of on on film at least of one of those people telling their own story and what it was like to come to that understanding at an early age that this is this is me this is what I do this is what I'm going to do and then the struggle of trying to make that happen like it's not like an artist like an like a painter like a painter understands that they are going to be a painter and they need to buy paints and canvases and they need to paint pictures right right? this is filmmaking so this kid needs a camera and he needs film and he needs like 40 other kids and he needs like all this equipment and he's got to rally all these forces it's a lot like the kid in super eight we were talking about right i was like like you know i loved that kid because he convinced all the other kids to do this crazy thing and and like so it's it's not something that he can pursue solo he can't just practice the piano and be a great piano player right like it's something that he needs to convince everybody else to come along on the ride with him and then he can reach a certain plateau as a kid but then to like transition into a professional he has to start all over again he has to convince everybody that he's worth a shot and that they should put this money behind him because it's not cheap you know none of this is ever cheap and so i thought that that perspective from coming from the actual person who experienced it was very interesting and something that I'd never seen before in film. Right. Like uh, just uh, fascinating. And I thought there aren't too many filmmakers who can show and explain how film is made in such an elegant way that non-filmmakers would understand it. Like, like, he is uniquely situated to show his own story just because he is so technically proficient, right? And so when he's showing like the war movie and the kids stepping on the planks and the dirt flying up behind him and then putting the firecrackers in the thing and shooting the guys, you know, like like the audience is right there and they're like, oh, brilliant, brilliant, of course, brilliant. You know, but I think a lesser filmmaker would have like maybe not been able to communicate that as well and as efficiently as he was because he is who he is you know and and so like he's kind of eating his own dog food but like i think it works very very well in this case yeah i don't ever think it comes off super pretentious and never and you never get the point where someone's watching his film and they go oh my god you know like they don't and uh yeah he's not he's not and and i i'm sorry to use this term but he's not sucking his own dick with this movie like like he's he's definitely to a degree he's tickling the balls maybe but i just (laughs) um he just 
I mean, because when you when you make something about yourself, we all do it, right? Everyone, I have podcasts where I talk about movies, and it's presumptuous of me to think that anyone wants to hear that. That's pretty much the same thing. So I'm in no way saying he's bad for it. He's, but he is. He's not bad for it, but he is doing it. He is. This is what happened in my life. But it was also done. It feels humbly. Right. And he shows you some. I I like all some of my favorite moments are him with the editing machine. Oh, yeah. Just cranking the wheel, backing it up, making the edits, cutting it, sticking it on the wall. Him actually making the literal film. I loved all of that because as I'm related to that as someone who makes podcasts, I'm like I got to layer this in here. And then like when I do some of the more heavy editing things like I do with my son, okay, I got to layer these sound effects and you figure out a way if I open this, I can sort of make shortcut to make this easier on myself. Oh, why didn't I do that years ago? And so I loved that element of him just editing and making the movies and all the little uh practical things he has to do yeah i think anybody who practices any creative activities will be able to relate to this on some level right uh it's yeah okay so let's let's talk for a second while we're on the topic about judd hirsch in his moment in the movie we can't you can't skip it no because it comes in like a damn hurricane not even a hurricane because hurricanes last like a day or so it comes in like a tornado he drops down Stirs some shit up and then leaves. And it's awesome. It's like, yeah, what is awesome. I was like, get, throw the Oscar at his head. Like, I thought it was wonderful. Like, I, I thought his part was so freaking good. And his whole message, you know, it and I think he I think he was in the movie to deliver this message and then just leave just so that it was like in the movie because it was important to Spielberg to acknowledge this. Right. And the whole point of what he's saying is that I recognize you as a kindred artist. You are the same as me and you have to understand, and I'm going to smash your face. So you remember me saying this to you, (laughs) right? You can pursue your art. And you, it's almost an obligation. You should pursue your art single-mindedly, but just understand that there is a price to pay and that price is your family relationships. And you're going to carry around the guilt for pursuing your art over your family for the rest of your life. And I think that that is Spielberg just like laying it on the line, man. Like that is like, here is a piece of my soul. This is this thing that I carry around with me. Like I leave my family for months at a time to go make these movies to the point where I'm sometimes a stranger to my children. And I single-mindedly obsess over these projects to like the, the detriment of everything else in my life. And that's the price that I pay so that you can have E.T. or Jurassic Park or whatever the Fox Schindler's List. You know, like, like I thought it was such an important moment in the movie because, like, there's there's real gut-wrenching truth to that. You know, like, I know one of the most talented people I know in real life. I have a, a buddy. Say, yeah, I know. Who's oh, a, sorry, go. A, a stand-up comedian, right? Yeah amazingly talented amazingly talented utterly he can't do both he is unable to do both 
He can't sustain a family and maintain his comedy. He can't maintain his comedy and sustain a family. Those two things are unique. They, they, they don't, they can't go together. Like it just doesn't work for him. And watching him as he goes through life with that push and pull, you know, like I'm going to have a family. I'm going to get married. I'm going to have this kid. I really miss doing comedy though. Oh, that's gone to shit. Now I'm going to do comedy for a while, but I don't have a family and I'm all by myself and I'm really lonely, but I'm doing my comedy, you know, like, and, and you know, I'm not trying to put my buddy on blast, but he puts me on blast on his radio show all the time. So fuck him. Uh, uh, but I mean, like, like, I think that's a real thing, you know? And I think that Judd Hirsch, like, coming into the movie and just, like, dropping this megaton bomb and then leaving is amazing. Like, it's just an amazing moment in the movie. And the performance is stellar as well. Yeah, and it comes out of nowhere because it's after Michelle Williams's character, Mitzi, her mom dies, and then here comes her brother out of nowhere after she had this warning of a dream. Like, oh, I was being warned about something coming and here comes Uncle Uncle Boris. And yeah, I yeah, his whole thing was great. Um so the the other thing we really kind of the other story arc, the subplot, is with his school bullies. Yes. Um which I I I liked, but then it kind of fell apart a little bit for me. So like there's two main bullies. There's like the big football jock. And then there's the guy who's skinnier and more dangerous and is probably a serial killer. Yeah. Now. I was going yeah, you know that kid. We were talking about yeah. that kid last week, I think. You know that kid. That's the kid in the neighborhood who you kind of have to try to be friends with so he doesn't stab you in the 7-Eleven, right? <laughs> like, yeah. That's, that's the same kid. I know that kid. So I was in elementary school. Um, this is a very formative thing that happened to me. It was I had moved to so I moved away from my mom's. And I moved to my dad, so I had to go to a new school. And in the first year, everything was fine. I'm the new kid, so I'm kind of popular. You know, you get the sort of, oh, the new kid. Everyone likes the new kid. It's the new kid bump. Yeah. Yeah, I got the new kid bump. Well, there's this one guy who just starts, like, looking at me, doing the throat slashy thing. And I'm like, <laughs> fuck is this guy's problem? What is his deal? And he's that rail kind of like, maybe not skinny, but he looks like a nine-year-old on meth. And I'm like, this something's wrong here, right? This is not just some punk bully. This there's something wrong with this one. And he just is like, I'm gonna meet you by the bikes, buddy. I'm gonna fi- I'm gonna kick your ass. And I'm like, why? Like I don't know why. Um, and so I'm like, uh, I do what you're supposed to do. What the the grownups tell you to do. Get a teacher. So I said, hey, I went to my teacher. And I know the teacher's name, Miss Reddick. Miss Reddick, um, Jimmy Jam or whatever that damn kid's name is, he's gonna kick my ass by the bikes, and I, I can't, I can't go get my bike and go home. And so she took care of it. Everything was fine. I went home. The next day, you know, before you went into your class, the entire class was sitting out by the front door like we normally do, to wait to go in, and they all start calling me chicken. Oh, and they do I'm nine years old and it it, it crushed me um for a long time. But I was like I'm like, what do you, you motherfuckers go fight that guy then? That guy's crazy. 
Like, I still made the right choice. He would have stabbed my ass. <laughs> but, yeah, I, and that's this guy. Like, it's like the, the bully gets mad and he starts punching. And the guy's like, yeah, kick his ass, stab him, bite his nose off. Right? <laughs> I'm like, good God, man. <laughs> yeah, there's there's definitely a point of differentiation between the two bully kids. Little little yeah. guy is just insane and a super hyper racist anti-Semitic like asshole coins the bagelman name you know like which just, is because it's learned things like the these kids that are dangerous like we see them and like there's something wrong it's all learned right yeah. you never like see like really up and tidy good healthy parents and their kid comes out with ta- like nothing wrong with tattoos but no no this nine, kid's at home and his dad's throwing beer bottles at him for right. sure yeah yeah 100 yeah. percent. and then there's like super athletic hero kid who like kind of is friends with skinny kid and goes along he with just him. doesn't want to get stabbed but he is he only really attacks when sammy calls him out in front of his girlfriend and that that's what really gets to him right like yeah. he's not he's not a, even he's the, not a good he's guy the, he's not a good guy yeah but he's not but a he's, complete piece of he's shit he's gonna like grow up kid. to be a healthy human is right. my thing he's gonna get older and be like damn man like I was sure a prick, like, in high school. Like, there's things, like, even though I was one bullied, so a lot of times the bullied become the bullies. And so oh, there were same. kids I think smaller about it than all me all the time. I, yeah, I bullied. I, f- I fucked and up I'm, kids, too. Like, yeah. same thing. And so I that regret I it horribly. And that guy's going to grow up and be fine. Yeah. This other kid is uh, not. That kid's, it's like, stabbed or he's in jail, going for to sure. Prison. Yeah, he's yeah. going to get hit yeah. by a train or something. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so let but me even, ask you this. You say you say that it eventually this plot line fell apart for you. Did it fall apart for you in the moment after they watched the film where the bigger kid comes out and yeah. can't, can't figure out like how he feels about it, right? Is that right. is that, is that, so that where it was for you? It because didn't quite I have a lot. I have a lot of I have a well, lot about here's, this. Let me say how it made me feel and then you can counterpoint me okay. and be correct probably. So I'm watching the video and he's like, "Hey, you made me look good." Look at me, I look good. Like, and I thought a more reasonable one would be like, all right, I'm gonna lay off of him, right? You know, yeah. that would kind of be like, you know, he's I, I'm I'm being an asshole. Maybe I'll even protect him from the guy who's gonna murder someone one day. Um, and that kind of would feel like the more natural, realistic response. He's not gonna make a big scene and 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 jeopardize his popularity. He's just gonna all right. I'm gonna lay off that kid. You know. But he chases down Sammy and has a real breakdown of like, why'd you make me look like that? I'm not that good. I'm not that heroic. I'm not that strong. And Sammy even says, all I did was point the camera. You know, that's how you looked. And what I liked about it, though, is Sammy was like this, regardless of how I feel about this guy, this is what's going to make the best picture. So that's what I'm going to put on screen. And uh, the contrast is they show the serial killer kid going around stealing beers, trying to sit next to girls and they all get up and leave because he's fucking creepy. Um, And so he looks like a real piece of shit. So, and I think a lot of it is it shows the difference, right? Like at the end of the day, this big bully kid, he's not, he's not a bad kid. He's a kid and he's doing stupid shit that kids do, but he, he, he's ultimately going to grow out of it and end up being a reasonable human. The other guy is just, when you put the camera on him and the camera doesn't lie, he's just, kind of no one likes you you think you're cool you're doing all the things that make you think you're tough 
But at the end of the day, you don't actually have that thing that people want to be around, uh, which is, you know, a conscience or whatever. And so him protecting Sammy from psycho killer bully made sense. And I was on board for, but the whole breakdown of like, that's not me. That's not who I am. It felt like an ultra mature take for someone who's in high school and immature enough to be a bully. Yeah. That's so, how I felt. I, I've, okay. So bear with me here. Cause I got a, I got a lot of stuff here because this also felt very this moment in the movie feels very weird to me too. Right. And I was kind of like, what's, what's going on? But I kind of related to it in some ways, but just, just before I even get into that, uh, I was reading uh, an article about this film and Spielberg talks about this. And he, he says, this is a real conversation that happened. This is something that happened to him and he has never understood it himself. And he's wrestled with it throughout his life because he didn't understand what made that kid break down the way he did. And he and Tony Kushner in writing this film discussed it for hours and hours and hours and just couldn't nail it. They couldn't get to the bottom of it, but he somehow felt that it was still a critical thing that kind of taught him the power of pointing a camera at somebody and what it reveals about them to maybe even to them, you know? Um, So, the fact that it plays weirdly in the movie and that we as viewers don't understand it kind of reads because he didn't understand it either. Like this is a weird moment in his life. And I've, I have again had moments like that where I've had these conversations. I, I, I very specifically am remembering this one when I discovered, you know, okay. So we talked about that kid, that kid in the neighborhood, right? I discovered that that kid and I were kind of dating the same girl at the same time when I was Mm. in high school. And we ended up at the same party with this girl. And I thought that we were going to have a blowout fight. And instead, that kid sat down on the curb with me and had a very deep conversation and kind of cried a little bit and then told me that he loved me. And it was like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? <laughs> you know, I have a and, story like that. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, we were both like kind of drunk and stuff. And and but it was like I very vividly remember this whole conversation. I won't get into it too much right now. But uh, but like I've had I've had that moment where it was kind of like, what, what, what is happening? Like, why is this person reacting in this very unexpected way, given yeah. everything that I know about them? Right. So when I was watching this. And, and Spielberg can't have missed this when he was making it because it was the first thing that came to mind to me. Watching it, the bully kid looks, it almost looks like a Nazi propaganda film, right? Like, like here is this Aryan kid and he's at the height of his athleticism and he's like just doing all this volleyball and he's running and he's winning the race and the glory, you know, and he can limbo better than the non-Aryans. You know? <laughs> and, and so that's kind of what I was thinking about. And so I decided to like Google it and I found a really interesting Reddit thread of people discussing this scene and, and what they thought it meant. Right. Yeah. And, and so, uh, 
The one, he says, when he sees this bully, practically the Aryan ideal, he instinctively knows he's watching the hero of the movie. He's projecting his own subconscious desires onto the screen, and the bully can't handle it because he's watching himself, and yet he isn't watching himself. He's been turned into an object, and it's horrifying. Right? So that's what Rope Gloomy 4303 says. Thanks for Uh, your input. Yeah. This other guy says, I'm not sure I agree with you, where you said the bully's reaction was because he's being turned into an object but rather because deep down he knows he's a piece of shit and somebody who thinks cruelty is the way to power and yet he's suddenly shown in a heroic light and it simply shines a torch into the empty space inside him where he knows he is not heroic. Uh, Cinema almost unfailingly paints an idealized version of life that never exists off the screen and the confrontation of that dissonance is what upsets the bully, not just because he's been turned into an object, right? Then right. Kickinwood says, and that, I'm sorry, that was uh, Buffaluffasaurus who had that <laughs> share with us. <laughs> I love this. <laughs> and, then, and then the last one, Kickinwood says, Spielberg does not care about anything more, and this is what you said, about anything more than making the most compelling picture possible personal feelings are wiped away in favor of making the movie better yeah 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 he bullied me but i've looked through my footage and he's the star a tool i will use to make the best possible film on the other side i think it made the bully feel as though he's being presented as something that he can't live up to probably feeding lawn held expectations from his family that he's always secretly been terrified of right so like in the end whatever happened to that kid he saw himself up on the screen and it created some reaction in him that he just couldn't handle. And he realized that either Spielberg or the camera was seeing him in a way that made him feel uncomfortable and maybe made him feel exposed in front of all the other kids that he didn't like. And so he had this reaction. But regardless, I think it's it's a really interesting moment. And in, in the fact that these people are online, like clicky clacky, like talking about it and what could it mean? And what's it all about? And what's the inner turmoil of this kid and so on? I, I think it, it's a very, that is uh, I like that boner man 618 had a take. Yeah, <laughs> I do appreciate that. Um, so just a story on the side that kind of relates to what yours was, was like that kid. Well, this was really that kid is actually a kid that had times been different. We probably could have been best friends because I remember like I was talking about playing video games and he was next to me and he was writing in a something. And he's like, I was like, what is that? Oh, it's a game. I'm like, oh, like a video game or he's no, no, no. It's a it's a game where you make up your own stories. Of course, he's talking about D&D. I didn't know that at the time. And now I'm like looking back. I'm like, I should have hung out with that kid. But I don't know what happened. We ended up getting into some sort of fisticuffs at school. And it was like, hey, I'm not going to fight at school. Let's do it over here after school. That way we don't get suspended and our parents don't find out. And he's like, all right, I'll meet you there. So I go there. He doesn't show up. And then like the next day at school, he comes. Where were you, man? I was like, I was there. And he's like, yeah, I was too. I didn't see you. So we both said we weren't there. Right. Whatever. One of us was lying wasn't me um but (laughs) let's just say it was so i'm in the library one day just minding my own damn business at school and he comes up to me he goes hey man um uh and this is like a long time later at least in my memory he goes do you do you still want to fight i'm like no not really (laughs) he goes can we just not i was like okay and then that was it. <laughs> I was like, that was the weirdest interaction I've ever had. I, I, I learned at some point 
that if you were the one who would accept the fight, you wouldn't get in many of them. Like yeah. there's, I was at the school again, and this kid had stuck gum in my seat, right? And I could feel it. I'm like, <sighs> and I knew it was there. And they're starting to talk, and I was like, I looked him in the face, and I said, if I get up and there's gum in my seat, I'm going to beat the shit out of you after class. And he goes, yeah, come on, whatever. And he talked big game. Yeah, all right, we're going to fight. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. Bell rings. He's in the parking lot almost immediately. <laughs> I didn't actually have any intention of fighting him, but I just had this theory as a kid that if I was the aggressor, let's see what happens. Worst case scenario, I get in a fight, right? Because I get in a fight with my brother all the time, and he's huge and can kick my ass even though he's younger than me. It's not fair. But I was just like, worst case scenario, I get in a fight. Best case scenario, I learned something, and I did, and he ran away. I was like, Power! <laughs> Ultimate power! Yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's just stories that came to mind. It's funny. So we're at the hour mark. Uh, do you have any questions? I I mean, you... I, I just have two. We can't close the season without questions. No, yeah. I've got a few that I've, I've saved purposely and not brought into the conversation. First, do you think that Spielberg could have made this film honestly, like with honesty, before his parents died. Do you think he was waiting? It's hard to say. I mean, it, it makes it easier when you don't have to answer to them. Um, so they both just recently passed, one in like 2019 and one in like 2021 or 2020. I'm trying to think because like, like if I'm telling the story... Hey, probably, right? You know, because it's complex and also you're going to get into like, hey, mom was cheating on dad. And if mom is still alive, she's going to get questions like, oh, maybe this is something you were cheating on your husband. And like, and so if she's gone, that makes it a lot easier. You don't have to worry about that sort of backlash. Yeah. So that, that Like if, if the subject matter and the people in the film are all gone, then I think that does make it easier. Yeah, the reason I ask, like, I, I I had a blog for a while, which I've since taken down, and I put a lot of, like, kind of personal stories on it, stuff stuff that I've talked about on this podcast a little bit, but in way more detail, right, yeah. on, on the blog. And uh, and then, like, it was during kind of the, the height of the first wave of Facebook, where everybody's kind of finding each other and connecting and so on and so forth. And it turned out, of course, that my parents did eventually see the blog and, you know, there was stuff on there about them, which made me very uncomfortable. And then it kind of like had this like weird push and pull of like, do I continue like the, this is I really want to tell these stories and get some of this stuff off my chest. But this could be like really hurtful to them to like read this stuff, you know, and maybe people they know would read this stuff. And in the end, I ended up like taking the blog down and I just kind of grabbed all the pieces and saved it and realized that someday I was going to write a book after my parents died. Right. (laughs) Right. Because because I just can't like I just can't like I, I, I say a lot of brutally honest stuff. Uh, you know, on the show and in other formats and so on. But there's this certain level of like, you know, like I can't, I couldn't write a book about my wife, you know, as yeah. much as many interesting stories as we have. 
there's something that's really uncomfortable about that. And I see people like, like David Sedaris. I don't know if you're familiar with him who writes openly about his life and essays and so on. And he writes about his family and his husband and, you know, these adventures they have and so on. And a lot of it is just light and funny, but some of it's pretty deep and pretty personal and, and so on. Oh my God, how does this guy do it? Like I would be up at night all night thinking about this shit, you know, like, Oh, should I have done that? Should I have said that? What do they think of that? It's just eating at them. Probably that I said this thing, you know, and, uh, so that that that's what made me think about it because to, to me the answer is like no definitely not like I don't think he would have been able to do it honestly while they were still alive but that's just putting my own feelings about it uh, onto somebody else who may not at all feel right. the same way you know but regardless if it still makes it easier yes oh right? for sure so for sure I, I would think of him he's like it's not like he's got a shortages of films to make. You know, like he if if oh I can wait longer and just make the next thing, yeah, and then put this on the shelf a bit. So I mean, if this were his last film, it just feels like such a capper. You know, like th- this this feels like a perfect last film. Like I wouldn't blame him if he was just like done. You know, and just kind of went about his business, um, because it's it's yeah. Which leads me to the last question, which is in any ways did this movie open up and shed light on the way we've interpreted all of the other films that we've watched? Like, did you reconsider the filmography in general through the lens of this movie? No, but one thing I was kind of interested in seeing was, Oh, we're going to get to see the divorce, the divorce that has colored so many of these films from, you know, E.T. to basically all the other films. So I don't think it changed or, in my opinion, of any of the previous films because this movie isn't about him being a filmmaker uh, at the end of the day. It's about his family. And there is stuff in there about being a filmmaker, and it is important, and it does play into the plot, but that's not what the movie's about. Um, It's about his family. So I, one thing I was thinking is like, you know, I kept waiting for something like this where a moment where he's like in a boat and you just see a shark fin in the horizon and he goes, <laughs> huh, 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 oh, okay. Or he's in the museum and he sees dinosaur bones and you're like, oh, hmm. You know, like he just said, well, there's the idea or, you know, I, I was partially hoping that the movie led right into Duel because that would have been a real great way to cap off our podcast. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like right. The movie that leads right into Duel. Um, but, uh, you know, we didn't get any of that because I think that would be a little more self serving. Um, whereas this is very much like telling the story of his parents and the family and what it's like to go through this. Yeah. Um, and along the way, telling you why I became a filmmaker. Yeah. I, I, the two films that I thought most about were E.T. and Close Encounters. Um, and I actually I'm, thought about Super 8 the most, even Super, though that's not his well, movie, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, perfect. I mean, uh, for sure, Super 8. Um, yeah, I, I, I was thinking about Close Encounters and how hard I was on that movie when we talked about it because I hated Roy so much, right? And I just couldn't stand Roy and 
after watching this movie, I was kind of like, oh, like this guy is definitely working out his problems with his mother in that movie, right? Like Roy, Roy is there representing the mother. Like he is going off. He's leaving the family. He's chasing this dream. He's unfaithful. He like, he just disregards everybody, you know, and everything in the single minded, selfish endeavor. Right. Um, and, and I was like, God, they, they, and then I started thinking about the dad in ET. Okay. So dad's in Mexico, he doesn't even like Mexico, you know, <laughs> like he's off with yeah. somebody else. He's left the family behind. He's left like the more stoic parent there to take care of like the three kids. And, and uh, a lot of it just kind of slammed into focus a little more for me. And, and, and with close encounters in particular, I was like, maybe I was being too hard on that movie because I disliked Roy so much. And I always thought that he should be the hero. And then he acts in such unheroic ways and it made me mad and yeah. I thought about it a little more and I was like, oh shit, maybe Roy's not supposed to be the hero. Like maybe Spielberg knew that Roy was an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like this movie is about an asshole leaving his family, but he knew that. And I was like, oh, well, yeah, maybe I need to kind of think about that a little more and to not be not be so harsh on close encounters. Do you, you think know? that, uh, you know, next week when we do our rankings, do you think that this film has adjusted your rankings on, not because of where this film places, but how it made you feel about previous films? I, I do think that one in particular, and I'm going to look at the others also before I make a final rank, but I do think that close encounters might pop up just a little because it's pretty low to the bottom right now. And I think it might come up some, not a lot. I do think that this film is going to be up towards the top. Like I, 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 I just can't express how much I really enjoyed this movie. Like I just absolutely loved it. Every, every minute of this damn thing. I just loved it. I can't recommend it highly enough. Hopefully nobody listened to this podcast without seeing the movie first, but if you did, Go check it out because it's really, really good. I, yeah, I, I know most people probably wouldn't. I would think, but um, if you want, go go watch. Um, uh, damn, why can't I think of the name of the movie now? Family Plot, the last Hitchcock film, because that's how I felt at the end. I'm like, I loved all of this, and it, it was a lot of it was because it was the last Hitchcock film and I was finishing things. I'm like, I love all of this. And I was really excited to get to this movie and watching the, the last one, even though, you know, presumably we will have more Spielberg to go. Uh, yeah. It just, uh, it's a special feeling. It is. It is. So how are we going to handle it when Spielberg does make another film? I mean, obviously we'll do a new episode, but you know, we'll bonus it up or okay. maybe not bonus it. I'll mark it as part of season two. We'll figure it out. But we'll, we'll figure it out for sure. It's yeah, going to yeah. happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, so what's going to happen now is next week we'll be back with a sort of final overview of all things Spielberg, our experience going through all the films. And we will rank all of the core Steven Spielberg films from worst to first, uh, much like I did on the final episode of Hitchcock. But there'll be two lists. We'll get to argue over it. And uh, he'll be mad when I put something like hook number one you know he'll be mad about that when <laughs> that no happens fucking way. there's no way on earth no. you're gonna put <laughs> honestly no there's no way but i will rank it higher than you do uh for sure um but anyway so that'll come out next week and then i think we're gonna do we're gonna take a month off 
That episode will come out the last Wednesday of June. We'll take July off, give us a chance to reset. Actually, what we'll probably be doing is banking episodes because somebody has a baby coming. That is true. And, uh, so having a little buffer there might be good in case we need to take uh, an impromptu break later. Uh, and so we'll return Wednesday, August the 2nd with M. Night Shyamalan chronologically. And it'll change in your feed to chronologically M. Night Shyamalan. But the art will say M. Night Shyamalan chronologically. It's fine. You don't have to do anything. If you're already subscribed, you're good. So bonus next week. We'll return August 2nd with M. Night Shyamalan. Very much looking forward to it. Oh, my God. I talk, have talk, some... Listen. Talk, <laughs> he's got some some great, great movies. He has some real pieces of shit. I got it's some got surprise be... bonus episodes I'm so excited to share with you um, that I hope you don't know are coming. No, I, um, I, I've, I've avoided. You told me to avoid it. The only one you know is coming is Devil, which is fine. That's the elevator, uh, right? I love that's the elevator. That's the elevator one. Yeah, I've yeah, not yeah, seen yeah. that. But he's got two others. Uh, one... One that he wrote and one that he secretly punched up. That oh, no one, okay. Like he secretly punched up the script and it's a really famous movie and I can't wait to surprise you with it. So don't do any research. Okay, I won't. I won't. I'll stay away. Because <laughs> when I tell you what it is, you'll be like, what? For real? We're do- <laughs> it's a movie you would think, what? Shyamalan? Anyway. Okay. So some of my favorite things about this is even though I didn't really like the silent movies, I really liked and maybe I should save this for next week, the early Spielberg stuff. I Just something romantic about seeing the beginning. Um, and like, how many people have seen something evil? Right. Two. Me right. and you. Me and you. So, <laughs> so, and him. Yeah. So we will uh, see you next week as we wrap it all up and uh, get ready to change gears and head on into M. Night Shyamalan. Uh, thank you for listening all this time. If you choose not to consume the bonus episode, I don't blame you. It's fine. Whatever. No big deal. Uh, and we'll see you back in August. Thanks, y'all. See you next week. Bye. Two weeks. Bye. Next week. Next week. <laughs> next, We're next coming week. back. Let's be clear. Bonus episodes next week. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, y'all. Okay. See you next Bye. week. Bye. <laughs>